Welcome to Ahead of the Curve, a breakout investors podcast. In this episode, Aaron Warwick interviews Ross Taylor of ARS Investment Partners. First, a disclaimer from Ross. ARS Partners is a registered investment advisor. All investment and financial opinions expressed by me on this call are in any investment matters are the result of our research and our experience and are intended here as educational material, offering insight into how we think and operate. All best efforts have been made to ensure that all information we have relied on is accurate and up to date. Unintended errors may occur. Our content is intended to be used for informational and educational purposes only, and thus we believe that it's very important that before making any investment decision based on information given in this call, you should do your own analysis. Additionally, we reserve the right to trade in or out of any security we talk about without notifying those listening to the call in the due course of our business. Well, we're happy to have back with us today, Ross Taylor, uh, to speak about Infusystem, ticker symbol I-N-F-U. And maybe just to begin, Ross, uh, you can give us a little bit of a background about Infusystem, especially for those who don't know uh, what the company does. Infusystems is a medical equipment company. They've got a number of different angles, a number of different shots on goal that give this company the opportunity, we think, to become a much broader and larger business than it has been in the past. Uh, the biggest thing we see that's been kind of out there is their contract in with GE, where they are servicing equipment and, you know, GE equipment in hospitals. And that's been an area that was basically a source of, I think, some frustration, but, you know, it's become now a source of tremendous opportunity and highlights the technological capability and the, and the technical capability of the company. Uh, we can go into later, I'm sure we'll go into later, on why that program ended up being uh, off to a slower start than people had helped and the like. But, you know, it's a, a small cap company in a space that I think you don't really see any unique ways to play these. They've got Beyond uh, what they're doing with the medical equipment, they have a, a wound care business that's been something that has shown great or potentially great promise. It's been an area of frustration as well. Uh, they were hurt by their chosen partner's uh, inability to provide product and then step out of the market. They replaced them with a really exciting new company where they encountered some issues ramping up. But you know, we see that as another opportunity. So. Yeah, they say we we like thing a company like this because it's not a it's not a single focus. It's a company with a, a number of shots on goal. They have on, an oncology business, which is their big business right now. It's a cash cow business. It's not an aggressive growth business. It looks like it grows in the kind of the low mid single digits every year, but it's a, a really nice um, EBITDA and cash flow generator. And in addition, then you got the growth in the in the pain space, you got the growth in, in the wound care space and the like. And then you got the growth from the things like the GE contract and, and others. So as I said, it's a right. multi shot on goal type play in the healthcare space. Yeah. And you and you had mentioned you you know alluded a couple of times to some of the frustrations. And I think, you know, that's uh, we can see that in the share price. Uh, the stock not that long ago was, you know, up into the twenties, held for a while in the mid teens. Now it's down around $8 a share after dropping clear down into the sixes there at one point after the most recent earnings call. Maybe talk about, you know, some of the things that uh, were going on at, at Infuse System, why people were so excited about it, and then, you know, why the stock has, has fallen back to these levels. I think they've 
you know, this is a company that, you know, transitioned itself from being effectively more of a, a kind of a cash flow, you know, steady uh, generator of free cash flow type business, but no real growth ex- excitement to one where they decided to push into these areas of growth. As I alluded to the GE contract, you know, that came out, they announced, you know, the hardest thing in small cap and micro cap stocks is, as you know, Aaron, is the, is how they handle and the communication problem. It's very difficult. You know, when do you tell, you know, how much do you tell people? When do you tell people and, and the like and how people respond to that? So they had indicated they had a, a shot at this major contract, the GE contract. They ended up getting it. They took longer to get than people had thought it would get. Then it took longer to ramp than people thought. People kind of looked at it and, and straight line the, you know, the revenue and earnings adds, you know, adds to the bottom line. And the company did GE, I think I'd say GE found, but when they came in and had this inning where they could go through and kind of check all the equipment and, and get things fixed and up to, up to snuff and the like, um, on uh, effectively like a GE dime and early stage, making sure that, you know, the everything was was good to go. They, I think, found that there was a much lower or a much higher rate of issue than GE had been expecting, and that caused the contract to slow. It meant that the company didn't get out with the revenues and didn't get the earnings uh, kicker as fast as people had thought and had expected. So what was a major win um, became a source of frustration, first because it took longer to develop than people had thought, and then once it was it was a win, it took longer to you know to push through the the revenue line and the and therefore the earnings line than people have thought. So you know it's been a I don't think they've missed on anything they've told us they were going to do, but they it's taken them longer to get done what we had been expecting. We being the street had been yeah. expecting. Well, and I just I recently had a call with the management team following their fourth quarter yeah their fourth quarter earnings release and in their own words I'm, I'm paraphrasing here I don't have the exact quote in front of me but essentially they said they felt like they did a really good job of managing the business and and setting it up for future growth and and actually even if you step back and look at at their year of uh, 2022 they had really solid growth for the company I think it was around 11 percent it was above 10 percent so actually really solid growth but people were expecting and they had kind of expected and put out there that they thought it would be around 20% on an annual basis, give or take. And and so obviously a lot lower than that. And so they management said, while they did a good job, you know, getting the business set up for future growth, they they didn't do a great job in communicating uh, to the market, you know, how that how that would look in 2022. And, and I think it in large part, that's because it looked different to them because of these reasons that you cited. Yeah, and uh, I that think, said, I think that 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 the twenty, you know, percent. Well, they're certainly not guiding for that this year. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a year like that, or if that you look, you know, back in five years and and you see that there is, you know, that general trajectory. It may be a little lumpier than you know just an annualized mm-hmm. rate. So, and I think maybe we've, seen talk- this, ahead, we've seen this, Aaron, and a lot of names that you covered, like you know. Permafix is a classic example of a company where people looked at an opportunity. It didn't happen as quickly as they thought it did. The stock fell from six down into the, you know, into the low threes, largely because people got frustrated. You know, patience, someone taught me years ago, 
and you know, in investing, particularly in micro small cap investing, patience is an acquired virtue, but it's a necessary one. And so I think you look at this company, what you see is that investors, you know, the company didn't communicate as effectively. There were some factors outside of their control. Uh, investors punished them for for both of those sins and pushed the stock aggressively lower as a result. And you still see it in the expectations. You know, the Streets 23 numbers really show really only modest growth expectations versus uh 22 before they really start to to explode higher in, in out years. Yeah, and and I think um, you know my read on things from the call and then and then talking with management afterwards is that things uh, have really gotten to the place with GE where they probably expected it would be you know like let's just say roughly a, a year nine months ago. Yeah, so it's really good they do have significant growth coming just through that GE contract now ramping and. Uh, my understanding is that they have it's been going well and that they have a schedule for the rest of the year. And it sounds like towards the end of the year, um, that's going to be producing 12 to 15 million dollars of revenue or at least a run rate of revenue uh, that they that the company previously didn't have before that GE contract. Is that your understanding as well? That, that's how I see it. And I think your your observation of it being nine to 12 months behind schedule is probably about right and it's why i think this you know it's why the these opportunities exist because the market's inefficient and the market's inefficiency is it frequently is is looking right down at its feet it's literally like like driving on a you know a rally track just looking over the edge of the hood and you know we've seen this again and again in these types of names i think that's where we're at here is you can see the ramp coming they never the the failure to deliver doesn't appear to ever have been that they failed. It appears to be other factors out there. They tossed a lot of opportunities. So I think what we're seeing is is a market that, you know, it's about a year behind schedule. But, you know, the opportunities are probably in aggregate going to prove to be greater than we had thought they would have been a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we could read into different things all day. Day, you know, uh, I would read into the fact that I, you know, I went into the call basically ticked off that, you know, there was another miss and thinking, you know, I'm eventually going to have to get rid of these shares even at a loss. And I ended, up, I ended up coming away more bullish than than I had been previously going into the call. And also since then, you know, on the drop, acquired additional shares. And the reason is because of the, you know, quote unquote body language of the of the company. Uh, they you know, they, they seemed uh, extremely confident in how they're doing right now. You know, obviously this call took place towards uh, the middle or late end of actually the late end of the first quarter. So they seem really confident in, in how things are going now. But ultimately, beyond that, you know, I think they've put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. And, and to that point, I want to bring up the fact that the entire executive team, the CEO, CFO, COO, all purchased shares uh, on the open market during the open window that they had following that call. And I think that uh, speaks volumes, um, you know, to, to the, that they went out in the market and did that. What are your thoughts there, Ross? Yeah, I would agree. I think it, it highlights first, you know, the the disappointment in the quarter really came out of the Sonera situation, which is 
once again, it's one of those things that's beyond their control. I think that, you know, we ourselves were very excited about what that would bring. And when you had the kind of the false start because of the product issue, you know, there was, you know, a little bit at times you wonder like, you know, Mr. Magoo, you know, (laughs) you've done it again. It's like, oh my God. But I thought they handled the call well. I thought the buying was really important because what you see so often in these small companies is insiders don't buy. And, you know, they'll complain about the stock being undervalued, but they will not step into the market and demonstrate that with their own personal capital. And I think that's, you know, very important. Most companies I'm looking at now are seeing insider selling. You know, we run bigger products and insider selling is pretty much de rigueur among these big companies. But no, I think, you know, they handled the call well. I thought they communicated this call much better than they communicated, you know, the issues they ran into last year. And then they backed it with their buying. And as I said, you, you look at patients because what we what we know is, you know, it's the hockey stick effect. It's the stock isn't loved until suddenly people look at it and say, wow, they've crossed the Rubicon and they're really going to, it's going to rip and, and move higher. And I think you want to be there and our view is we use the weakness to add as well. We felt we wanted to be in the position before things all get together and work rather than wait because we felt the downside was, you know, fundamentally was de minimis and the upside was substantial. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Just feeling like the downside is is fairly limited from even from these levels after the stocks recovered a bit, you know, from the where it got to the um, upper six area. Uh, limited downside because the company is growing. The company is, you know, uh, uh, printing cash on on its uh, core business. I mean, I don't think that's going to go away. It's never been a case of them losing any business. It's just been opportunities taking longer to to happen. Let's talk a little bit about Sonara. My, my understanding is a little different. I I didn't come away disappointed at all with Sonara. I think it was another potential wound care partner that um, sort of failed them on on being able to get them product and so forth. But Sonara is just, in in my opinion, an enormous opportunity uh, that sounds like we won't see any revenue from it till probably 2024, maybe at the best uh, late 2023. But uh, it, it seems to be a game change, a potential game changing uh, relationship uh, for Sonara as well as for Infuse System. It is yeah. a joint partnership. And uh, maybe you can just talk a little bit about what's happening there. Yeah, and I uh, and when I say you know disappointment now, you know I I'm not famous. I, although I know I need to have patience, I'm not famous for having it. Um, I I had we had felt that we would see some benefits out of it earlier this year than we are going to see. Uh, and then it was just the optics of you know Cardinal having left the space and leaving. Uh, Impu Systems needing to find a new partner. They found what we thought was a really exciting, you know, Sonar is a, a, a newer player in the space, a dynamic player, um, you know, strong growth. And we like being hooked with, you know, the company being hooked up with that player in that space. And, and we thought the idea of the kind of the joint economics and, and the relationship were, were going to be very attractive. We think they still will be very attractive. It's just we had been hoping to see that opportunity realized earlier this year than it's you know or than it's going to likely be realized and uh, and i do think that but what it has done is you know i don't think anything fundamentally has shifted the the market's still very strong so 
place and product and approach to the market, you know, is new and higher energy than what's out there. I think it gives a real chance to kind of get into the place and to, to push forward with it. Yeah. And one of the things that I like is that about this relationship is that Infusystem and Sonar are more equal. It's not like GE and Infusystem. And so I think that, you know, Sonara, this is a big deal for Sonara. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a game-changing relationship for them, game-changing in terms of the market that they're entering. And so I like that. I think it, you know, if you read Sonara's call, this uh, conference call, it's it's a big deal for them as well. Yeah. And I, and I think that the fact, you know, the stumbles, I, you highlighted something that's very important is that it's important for both parties. And I think that, you know, what we saw with GE is that it was a case where, you know, InfuSystems was basically, when they found issues, you know, and even when they were trying to get the contract, they're a small company and GE being a big company doesn't necessarily have the same sense of urgency to address the, the issues, the opportunities. I think with uh, Sonara, you have a very different dynamic. I would, I think that's a very important observation. And, you know, they need, Sonara needs, I, I believe, InfuSystems uh, as much as InfuSystems benefits from Sonara. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it, from what I can tell, it's 50-50 high yeah. partners. But, and one thing I will mention, too, before we move on is is uh, my read of the Sonara conference call is that they're actually expecting um, potentially some revenue from this deal in, in 2023. Mm-hmm. I think NPS system was more conservative given, you know, the, the issues that they've had with the guidance and previous relationships this year. So, you know, not saying it will, but could benefit uh, even here in, in 2023, we could see some, some nice movement with that product that Sonar is going to be offering and that NPS system partnered with them to, to sell. So, yeah. And if you look at the at the way the street is looking at it right now, the consensus revenues for the street go from basically 110 to 118, 119. If we look at the underlying, um, and you've done some really good work on this, you know, if you look at the underlying uh, rate increases and the like in in their kind of core business. You're out, the market's not attaching much or any growth to any of these other growth initiatives this year. And we think that's probably a mistake. But after a year where they weren't able to deliver the 20% growth people had hoped, it's not imprudent for them to, to offer lower hurdles that they can, they can beat to reestablish the, their street friend. Yeah. So that kind of nice segue into valuation. What, what's your, price target, if you want to call it that, or how, how do you see the, the valuation of this company and its possibility for growth there? Well, what we're, we're looking at is we're looking at, we're investors and in these smaller companies, we, you know, we believe it's very important to invest. We're looking out at their 25, the earnings now in 24 and 25, we're, we're not a near-term focus. So we're thinking that we should see them being able to, to push earnings on an adjusted basis. Um, my most least and favorite uh, merit out there, everyone, you know, I would say I'd, I'd be a scratch golfer if I could adjust my handicap or my scores. But unadjusted, we think they're going to earn somewhere in the 40, you know, 45 cent range next year. We think there's more growth coming out of Sonara and some of these other initiatives and the speed it's currently projecting. 
and we look at that and we see their ability to generate EBITDA, you know, the street actually sees EBITDA falling or, you know, kind of, you know, or EBIT falling between 23 and 24. We actually see it growing and we think they should be able to push EBITDA up to a, a premium level to that which we saw in 20. You know, they did almost 21 million in EBITDA. So we look at that, you know, saying we got a company right now that's trading at something in the neighborhood of about 11 times what we think it should be able to do uh, in uh, kind of current year, you know, EBITDA and maybe a little bit less than that. And we think that given the growth rate, and the expectations, it should be able to to do something you know, up towards, uh, you know, half again as well on an earnings basis. If we have 40, 45 cents, I think with the as they get things right, we think it should be able to do 25, 30 uh, 25, 30x on on the multiple as they're really ramping things up because they've got a number of things that are kind of what we call stored performance that should start to execute. And so we would give it right now, we think it's probably worth in the neighborhood of about 12 bucks a share, knowing what we know. If, you know, if the stock were trading yeah, sure. today, we wouldn't think it's grossly overvalued. We wouldn't, we'd say it's right. One thing as well is that uh, given the way the small cap market has performed since last May when the Russell 2000 rebalanced uh, up until today. And then the rebalance, the market cap determination this year is set for a little earlier than normal, April 28th. They're right on the edge of yeah. potentially being added to the Russell 2000. What what impact might that have if they were to do adding? Well, I think. I think what you would see is as they get, if they push up towards that level and you start to see investors, you know, and, and the quants and the people, you know, when I first got in this business, one of the easiest ways to make money was you bought things being added and people wouldn't literally have played that, that ad. And on the day of the deal, suddenly they'd be trying to buy a million shares or something that traded 10,000 shares a day. You know, people have gotten more efficient about arbitraging it. But if they if they close that gap and are perceived to be to be close to being at, I think you're going to see volume tick up and you're going to see price tick up uh, into that run up. And I think that that should help the stock in a number of, of ways, one of which is when it if it does get added, anything that gets added effectively, those shares really generally stop trading if you think about it. So. It improves liquidity and decreases effective flow, and so it it um, it can be very additive to uh, price performance as as one pushes forward. Yeah, and what uh, you know, I think what's important here, and I, I agree with what you said about the street and, and investors in general being more sensitive to stocks being added to the Russell 2000. But in the case of Infuse System, uh, you know they've they've been below here for the last mm-hmm. month or more. Uh, they were borderline, you know, before the, the earnings call, uh, whether they'd be added. Uh, and now since the earnings call, they've really been below. So I would think that this is a company that's probably uh, flown below the radar. I, I don't think you would see a lot of arbitrage play on that. So it could be a lot of volume in, in quite a few days. Right. And and my thinking on it right now is I would agree with you. If, if you were to see this stock push up, that's a neighbor of 10% or so from here, it gets to where it would be a serious consideration for addition. And if you're looking at the way it's trading in here, it's not trading as though people are anticipating that. And so what I'm kind of getting at is if, if this thing, it pushes up, you know, 
two or north of nine dollars a share, for example. Uh, just looking at the price point, given today it's at eight twenty-five. As we're talking, I think you see that that the people running the models about what's going to get added would say this is likely to get added. It's a relatively illiquid or an illiquid name relative to the likely demand, and they will start to buy it in advance of that. So you have the ability to actually get your move not just on the day of the ad, but in the front of the day of the ad as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else that you want to share on this name, Ross? No, I think I you know I think this is a classic case of a stock that is been has been punished because it hasn't been able to control its own destiny and the stumbles have not really been operational failures. They've been, you know, as I say, what, when Cardinal leaves the business, that's nothing that Infu Systems could have done. You know, GE need you know wants to make sure that the con- you know they take longer to sign the contract. That's not something they could have influenced. But the people who paid the price are shareholders in the company, and I think we're going to get well rewarded because it looks to me like you're seeing, you know, we've gone through, we've gone through the desert and we're coming into the promised land in the next you know six twelve months or so. Yeah. We should start to really see a shift and. When that happens, this stock, I think, you know, this is what we own these things and we basically we own them. We know we're investing. It's not, you know, we're not trying to jump from trade to trade, but this is a name that we're very comfortable with having in our portfolio. And as I said, we did add to it after the last call. Well, thank you for your time, Ross. We, we appreciate it and uh, look forward to having you on again to talk about Infuse System or other names that we share in common. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. Always a pleasure. Take care. Some or all the speakers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The views in this podcast expressed are those of the speakers, not breakout investors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Neither breakout investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage. Therefore, is expressly disclaimed. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor. No one is providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.